Webster's Dictionary defines Toronto as... (laughs) Don't laugh. seeks to prove that arty and trashy movies have a lot in common, then you, you don't need to enjoy just one or the other. So we will take our movie of this week and pair it with something artier or trashier and hope that you discover an unexpected new favorite, or at the very least, are entertained. And that's right, you're hearing a very Canadian accent because we're talking about very Canadian stuff this week. I'm one of your hosts, Nick, and with me as always is... The remaining Toronto landmark to my gentrified Toronto landmark, <laughs> the eyes in a mail slot to my violent mall Santa, Aaron is here. Hi, Aaron. Hello. I was really looking forward to what your intro was going to be for this week because there are so many bananas options. I had to movie. go with two. I couldn't choose just one. That's totally fair. <laughs> I went with one societal one and one silly one. <laughs> Let's do a silly one. Is what and I a to silly one. <laughs> Normally we don't keep those in. I don't know if you... No. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful. Because I'm very excited to talk about our movie this week. We bring it up on the pod all the time. So we figured it's finally fucking time to devote some CanCon, some Canadian content. We're in Toronto. We're talking about The Silent Partner from 1978. When the telephone rings, the terror begins. Hello. Hello? You're doing it to her like you did it to me. What? I don't know how you managed to pull it off. I guess you're going to have to tell me one of these days. But we, uh, we worked it together, didn't we? I'm going to kill you, so help me. I'm going to kill you. Starring Elliot Gould, Christopher Plummer, and Susanna York. Who is this? Now, that's the beautiful part of it, isn't it? I know who you are, but you're in the dark. And one night when you come home, you'll find me on the inside, waiting for you. And that'll be the night you'll wish you'd never been born. That's what we have instead of the more you know here. Yes. <laughs> Just one of the ways in which this is an upsettingly not quite right country. I say that, but we have heritage moments. We TV do actually, spots. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we have House Hippo. I don't know if House Hippo ever made it out into the world. I don't even know what House Hippo is. You don't is. remember House Hippo? No. It was, a, it was <laughs> ironically, it was a PSA about how you can't trust everything you see on TV. Oh, yes, yes, I do. And, but a lot of people my age came away with like, holy shit, House Hippos are real. Because it was a very convincing, like, little 30-second television <laughs> commercial about House Hippos. And then the, at the end it was like, idiot, no. House Hippos aren't real, you fool. You fucking morons. And uh, yeah, so... Was that Canadian? I thought that was just a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is just leading into, if you're not from Canada, A, or Toronto in general, you don't, have to do don't this. worry about it because we this will be an inviting place for non-Canadians to visit. Is, <laughs> that's literally the whole point of Toronto is yeah. making you feel safe visiting Canada. <laughs> it's not really like don't different worry. from what you know. <laughs> the silent partner. <laughs> From Let's do the movie. How yeah. about oh, sure. Yes, the big yes. subject of today. We talked about it a lot during all of our noir November 
movies because it's a pretty noiry kind of thing. It's very yeah yeah. I think it's very. It's the one thing I know about it. And I'm sorry if I'm snatching <gasps> this fact right out of your mouth, but it is based on a Danish, I think, novel, like yep. a little thriller, psychological thriller novel, mm-hmm. which I feel like recently was a huge boon to I don't know, probably Netflix in in specific, yeah. but like you know, movies in general, uh, remake movies in general, and and that sort of bleak and like very noir pieces came out of that sort of literary boom so like it's somehow noir but realism those two should be at odds but yeah ice crested noir (laughs) yeah like uh, am i thinking right of like girl with dragon tattoo and all those yeah exactly yeah yeah but more accurately, to me, this is first and for- foremost what is known as a exploitation movie. Yes, it which is. Which <laughs> I got lots to say about that later. Let's talk about the movie first. Oh, all right. But it's, you know, it's a nice crime thriller. And uh, the events of this movie start on December 14th, so we're just in time for Silent Partner oh, season. Oh, shit, that's right. You call it Christmas season, holiday season. I call it silent partner season. It's silent partner season. It's way creepier than holiday season. (laughs) So what the fuck am I talking about with this movie then? You tell me, Nicholas. I will. Here's a little setup for those not in the know. Miles Cullen is a mild-mannered vault keeper at the First National Bank of Toronto, not a real bank, who spends his time practicing chess on his own, which is so sad, Yeah. and looking at his exotic fish. He learns that his bank is being cased for a robbery by the local mall Santa. <laughs> Wink. Uh, so Colin takes steps to time his own robbery along with the holdup, placing the money from the robbery in his pocket and placing all the blame on Santa. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Santa learns about this, a psychological game of cat and mouse ensues. Santa wants his money, bitch. Yes, he does. And as usual on the pod, we go full spoilers. So I just got to say, go watch this movie. If you have enjoyed any of the podcast coverage episodes in the past, you will like this movie. Even if it's just to like, hey, that's where this podcast is from. <laughs> <laughs> Look at where we live. Yep. 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 That's it's it's a great it's a great fun movie. Yes. It's it's grimy and kind of gross in that way that all a all 70s movies are and b it's got a very a sheen of like no one we didn't think anyone would watch this do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah they could just get away with some some shit and the like the director is a is a real like no i'm doing what i want i don't care about executive kind of no kind notes of guy. from the studio please yeah like okay. he he got frustrated with canadian media in general and created his own tv station oh. <laughs> did all these things that's just like no the important thing is what you want people to see not the like hitting the right markets or anything so it is singular in that way and i wanted sure. to mention too this movie was really hard to track down at least for me until pretty recently it got a nice blu-ray release from kino so thank you kino go and get physical media and Do have it. it be this great for physical media Hoorah. I'm blatantly stealing this bit from Popcorn. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's just become part <laughs> okay, of our... <laughs> but they're right. They are anyway, right. It's fine. It's sitting just off mic. <laughs> if you listen really carefully, you can hear it. You can hear the crinkle of the wrapping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about who all is in this movie before we get into talking about Oh, God, it. please let us, because it's my favorite part. <laughs> so, directed by Daryl Duke, who didn't do a ton, a ton, a ton of movies. He's very famous in Canadian uh, TV industry. Sure. But he did another another movie called Payday starring Rip Torn. What? Yeah, that is uh, <laughs> a like semi 
well, fully fully fictionalized music industry drama, but shot like a documentary. Okay. So it's Rip Torn going like full ham. Going ham on. <laughs> yeah, as a like behind the music character. Okay. So okay. it sounds like a ton of fun, not in a sad way. It's a, right. a ton of sad fun. A ton of very depressing fun. Okay. Yeah. If if it's as like nasty as the vibe of, of Silent Partner, I feel like it would be a lot of fun to watch Rip Torn do that. Yes. That is my understanding that it is. Yes. Good. Okay. But we're talking about Silent Partner. We're not talking about Pain. We're talking about Daryl Duke. It's fine. <laughs> uh, this movie is written by Curtis Hansen, who was the writer and director of L.A. Confidential. There's your right. your little noir background. And as you mentioned, based on a book, Think of a Number by Anders Bodelson. And also it was a Got movie it. in, in uh, Norway also. Oh, but okay. It's technically supposed to be a remake of that, but who cares? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, be nice. <laughs> you were to say. Oh, uh, not yet, uh, uh, the writer of L.A. Confidential, right? This was later. I f- always Correct. forget when that is. In the 80s at some point. Uh, no, uh, L.A. Confidential is in the 90s. Seriously? Yeah. Okay, great. If I remember right. right. Oh, God. No, no, oh, no. God. <laughs> no, that feels right. That feels right. But Curtis Hansen is funny because he went on to do a Hollywood movie that is almost this exact plot and gave, like, no oh. reference to The Silent Partner because... Spoiler alert, no one in the U.S. had seen Silent Partner. Uh, it literally was not distributed there. So. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, but For it sure. got, like, panned mega hard, and then he went on to do L.A. Confidential after that. Got it. Uh, but the reason we're all here, starring Elliot Gould and Christopher Gould Plummer. Christopher Plummer. Yes. They're the greatest. Like you've never seen them before. Truly. Scary. <laughs> Fucked up. <laughs> Christopher Plummer, National Treasure, is such a, like, passed away recently at 91, mm wildly rich catalog of work. Yes, so varied. Yes. You love it. And, like, even even so, I had never seen him do something like this role, yeah. where he is a full-on sadistic psychopath. Yeah. And he's scary. Like, he's a scary fucking dude. And, like, people on set were saying he's getting so into it that they were scared oh, watching no. him. And, like, this is the fucking Sound of Music guy. Like, if I showed my mother this movie, she would be, <laughs> she like, would cry. visibly upset. Yeah. Like, what did they do to Christopher Plummer? <laughs> Our boy. Look what they did to our boy. <laughs> like, performances ranging here from sadistic psycho. Uh, Reichel is his character's Reichel. name in here. He goes through so many disguises. Yeah, this is the thing is he also apparently has like a tickle trunk full <laughs> of like drag outfits and he's got his fake, like his Santa undercover costume mm-hmm. with a like a, just a psycho with a flair for the dramatic. Good prosthetic work. Yes. <laughs> Like, how does he do... I know he's in the local theater scene somewhere. Like, that's where Michael came from, for sure. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of scenery-chewing, but it's also menacing as hell. It doesn't cross into scenery-chewing for me. Yeah, it it should be goofy, but it's not goofy. He sells it so well. Uh, There's all these great phone conversations between Gould and Plummer, like... Yes. At, through a window right. that he is so like it's terrifying the little yeah. guy down there he's, a, he's just a little guy he's but just he's a little guy very scary a uh, little fun fact uh, Gould was trying to get Mick Jagger to play that part oh because he was like yeah, that's a scary guy <laughs> so I he's guess fucked up looking <laughs> Fucked up looking and menacing, I feel like, are maybe two different things. I don't know that much about Mick Jagger, but I'm glad that didn't work out. Yes, and Gould is also very glad because he's like, oh yeah, Plummer did the, he, every, the same thing everybody says about Plummer in this, like, you've never seen him do anything like this, so great. Yeah. And Gould was like, oh, he made the movie classy. Yeah, oh, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> he does murder a woman in cold blood mm-hmm. violently, but all right. And almost, almost <laughs> twice. Yeah, actually true. What a guy. <laughs> but he's, yeah, he, like, he, 
inhabits his psycho character so well that I almost don't recognize him. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it, it is, he's in disguise a lot of the time, but yeah. it is very much like, Mesh oh. tank tops. And... Yeah, <laughs> he was the late 70s. <laughs> yeah, he's so good in this that I I prefer him, his performance to Elliot Gould, and we yeah. love Elliot Gould. Me too. We love him. And he's wonderful in this movie. And there, there's the shot that, like, I know we're going to talk about it, so I'm just going to bring it up now, that, like, the <laughs> shot that is indelibly burned into my brain forever from this movie is Gould is, like, learning, like I said in my little synopsis, that uh, uh, small Santa has figured out that he got shortchanged and he's cat and mouse is ensuing. And they're they're communicating for the first time and he thinks that yes. uh, Plumber's about to break into his apartment, so he barricades yeah. the door and just the mail slot shooting open and his little eyes his to the mail slot. His fucking icy blue eyes down there. It's ah. such a simple shot, such a simple idea, but the setup of it and the payoff of it is just so... It's chilling. It's terrifying. It's literally chilling. I think I screamed out loud when that shot happened the first time we watched. We've seen this at least twice and both times. Like, you know it's It's, coming to still... Yeah. Go, God. It's because the shot is, you know, he's barricaded the door and the shot is focused on the handle of the door. You'd expect it to start turning or something, but no. Bam! Mail slot. It's it's focused on the upper portions of the door because it's yeah. like, oh, there's that's where a person's going to come through. Yeah, no, no, no not no. this guy. And it does that great thing of all the barricading happens and Gould falls silent and you got like three seconds and you hear the footsteps and you're like, okay, it's going to come. And it's just like, dink, yeah. little mail slot opens up. <laughs> it's very good. That that shot alone is worth the price of admission here. I don't know how much admission costs. Um, <laughs> it was the 70s, so like 50 cents? 25 cents and you get a moon pie? <laughs> Okay, well, reel it in a little. This is not Charlie Chaplin hours, but... Yeah. Uh, who, but uh, just to round out our cast, we've got Susanna York, uh, Celine Lomez, who is a, a Quebecois actress. I don't mm. think we've seen in anything else. But, no. Uh, and a very early performance from John Candy. Yes. So early that he's not here to do bits. He, that no. hasn't been figured out yet. He's no. just a regular <laughs> character in this movie. Yeah, we don't know what John Candy can do yet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's very funny, though. This movie is like a quiet, like everyone in it, it can be funny, mm. but it's just like quietly, the funny, it comes from how like sad and bleak most of it is. Do you know and, what I mean? And it's very dry also. Like, yeah. it is funny. There are some very funny moments in this, such as Elliot Gould getting shot and saying, <laughs> I've always wondered what it would feel like to be shot. It hurts a lot. <laughs> He's just like laying still half comatose. Yeah. And I like obviously, you know, Mall Santa trying to yeah. rob a bank is very funny on its face, but it's it's not like gags. It's the reveal of Plumber in Drag is very funny. Yes, it is. Like super fun and all of his little like he's doing all the like brushing he's, hair he's, over his yeah, shoulder sweeping his his wig back <laughs> the mannerisms are so great it's theater so... kid i'm calling it right oh, now yeah, that's absolutely. his backstory and he well, was driven insane plumber was a theater kid himself so maybe he's just channeling that energy Ooh, there, you, there go. you go yeah stay away from your local theater kids they're not well <laughs> uh, and rounding out our canadian a music by oscar peterson here Yes, which is such a funny... So we've got this, like, tense cat and mouse thriller. It's essentially, like, a grimier James Bond movie. Like, you've got yeah, the, of. you know, femme fatale and, and like, a, a couple of, like, like misogyny. Oh, big time. Rife, yeah, yeah. you know? But <laughs> portrayed as bad. Um, That's true. But then this, like, nice jazzy score by Oscar Peterson. <laughs> also a national treasure. Just, yeah. like, such a funny... But it works perfectly. It's a great score. Also kind of spooky. Yeah, there's all those great jazz bits that you would expect, but then there's this there's this little tune that uh, pops up whenever the like 
the I feel like it's the specter of plumber is yes, in the background. Wherever the hair stands up on the back of your neck. There's this little doot doot doot. That's better. We can be friends. But we uh, we worked it together, didn't we? I mean, we we ran the same risks, didn't we? We're uh, we're partners. I'm going to call the police. Uh, what are you going to tell them? Yeah. Kind of thing that gets repeated a few times here and there. That's, That's always when, like, uh, the plumber descends. <laughs> you know what's so funny to me, too? And I went back and I looked through this. You were like, oh, it's the Spider-Verse lick. Yes, it is. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and I did go back and listen to the soundtrack, and it happens that's like, do, 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 you. Or, you know, that c- kind of variation on that. It happens whenever, like, Spider-Sense is, is kind of oh. kicking in, which I think is very cute, because that's kind of how it's used in this movie, too. From now on, anytime anybody's getting, like, little shivers, that's what I'm going to hear in my mind. (laughs) It works well. Well, so that's your thoughts on Plummer. Any other thoughts on Plummer before we move on to talk about Gould in here? I mean, he's just great. Like, it's just a, you could not ask for a better Bond villain type of role. He's just, like, could explode in violence at any moment, because you've seen him do it, but he's just, like calculating and a very chilling person mm-hmm. it's it's, um, blah, blah, blah. it's yeah, fiction. it paints this like you know the history of this guy by the like the first scene no he's a mystery and that's on purpose by yeah. the second time you've seen him after he's out of his disguise and in his uh, mesh tank top you're like oh he <laughs> i know who this guy is and i do not like him and <laughs> yeah you absolutely love to hate him because he's so creepy and yeah. vile but he's so smart and it's a it's a very fun mix yeah. i can imagine this being a fun part well i feel like smart yes but more like he's just he's single-minded yeah, right that's like what he it is. has yeah. he has a purpose and it's to fuck everybody else up if they get in his way and and he is just great at executing that, but not really great at, like, stepping back from that. Mm, you yeah. Know? I always mix these up, so you might be able to, to correct me. I feel like Plummer is the is big impulse. He's, like, full-on ego, whereas Gould doesn't do anything and just thinks oh, about things. So no, I think it. you I think you do have it mixed up. But okay. I know what you mean. Like, he, Plummer is the id, just the, like, yes. act, uh, you know, safeguard my thing. Like, whatever I want to do in the moment. Lash and, out. And yeah. That, yeah. And... And Gould is the ego of, like, I'm so smart and I'm going to let him tire himself out and, and then I'll make my move or whatever. Yeah, like, I think literally Gould is lounging in an armchair with a cigar, circling wine and planning at a certain, <laughs> like, looking over a chessboard. He's very pleased with himself, yes. yes. <laughs> All psychologists are tearing their hair out as this description. I know it's not exactly like that, but it is a little like that. <laughs> well, psychologists come on the podcast and we'll do another episode on The Silent Partner to talk about There you go. <laughs> we will admit our mistakes. Yes. Um, uh, but Gould, Gould in here, uh, you love an Elliot Gould, but I really like this performance from him and I like doing some of the behind the scenes research feels like, oh, I, I kind of get where this came from. He's, this is the most different I feel like I've seen Gould be mm. anything. He's always just kind of a, like a very loose, slightly charismatic, like confident and charismatic in a way that you're like, I don't know why I like you, but I like you. Yeah. He just has that quality about him. He's kind of got like a huckster, but aw shucks kind of a guy. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's nothing uptight or packaged about him. He's just like hanging loose. And this movie, he kind, maybe kind of gets there, but he's so uptight and like his pursed little lips (laughs) doing all this time. (laughs) Yes. He's got this great move where he, when someone is like complimenting him or is 
talking about the bank robbery, which everyone's mm. like, wow, he made off with so much money, but really, like, Gould made off with the money. Yeah. And he sort of gets this, like, little little purse lip <laughs> smile where he's like, tr- you can see him trying not to say anything about yeah. it, like, physically trying to hold back the Forcing words. his lips closed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. I love it. He goes from, like... Talking about, like, it doesn't matter if this movie is a noir or not. It feels like it is to me. I agree. My, mileage will vary. But the the fact that he starts out this goddamn bank dweeb with no life, like, he looks like he's nailed to the spot when he's at his teller window. Yeah. Like, you just set up your Elliot Gould for Here's business. Your cardboard Elliot Gould stand. Yeah. You fold him up and put him in the back when the day's done. Uh, well, I mean, all of his stuff that we see when we go home, it's, like, mm. meant to, sh- like, this is the saddest, loneliest man in the world. Yeah. Not in a, like, cool way. <laughs> Yeah, he like collects he's, exotic fish and he teaches himself chess. This guy is a couple of like brain teasers away from becoming the Riddler, is what it feels like to me. <laughs> kind of, like he's going to snap at any yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah. But he goes from that to this like cool character who he says numerous times, like, I don't know what's happening. I'm so different and I'm so excited about my every day. I don't know what I could do. I don't know what I'm what capable, I'm capable of. of. Yeah. Yeah, he's very neurotic, but he's got an enormous ego on him in mm. in this, and it's a very fun mix of like watching the neuroses at first, and then the ego is too much, mm-hmm. cannot be contained. <laughs> it's good. It is good. Uh, yeah, it's just I've become a guy that's like, oh, Elliot Gould's in the movie. Yeah, I'll watch that. I'll watch it. Yep. It's just so much fun. I always think of him as Canadian, despite the fact that he isn't. He just <laughs> has that energy about him. He does. <laughs> Can't define it, but yes. Yeah. Do you have an idea? I didn't. I had to look this up. So the bank robbery is 48000 and change. Oh, I should have looked this up. In uh, $70. Give me a guess, and I'll tell you where you're at. Canadian. What do you think that is That is Canadian? Okay, so forty-eight grand Canadian. In 1970s money to today. Today that would be... <laughs> Like ninety thousand. Ooh, in a better world, that would be correct. It is approximately one hundred and seventy-six thousand. Holy shit! Yeah. Okay. All so right. like, they keep talking about in the movie how it's like it's not so much money that it's you know seismically changing, but it's enough yeah. that like yeah, I'd be pissed off if I lost one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. <laughs> well, yeah. Here's the thing: is like he, Elliot Gold sets it up so that. The bank robber does make away with some cash, mm-hmm. but he keeps the lion's share of yeah. it. So when they interview him for the TV and Plummer sees it later, the bank is like, we lost 48 grand. And Plummer's like, I'm not holding 48 grand. <laughs> yeah, he got like Where'd two that fucking go? Or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, he literally got like... So, yeah, I could see... In his little animal brain, like, oh, I made, what would two grand be in that? Like, like $12,000 or something, oh, right? Oh, the like, tops, yeah. Like, yeah. You're, you're lucky if that's going above 10. Yeah, like, like, it didn't work out great. The alarm got tripped, so, okay, it was, like, a half-successful bank robbery. Whatever, a couple of grand is not to be sneezed at. But then you fucking find out that you could have gone six digits. This curly-haired motherfucker. Yes. <laughs> New target. <laughs> uh, oh, and uh, for those okay. south of the border, it's about 140000 U.S. Thank you. What about literally anywhere else, Nick? Oh, I'm only dealing with our continent. I should have looked up (laughs) what I would have been in Mexico. (laughs) Yes, right. Sorry, Mexico. Yeah. My research stops at two. It's more than two things. (laughs) It's not even that, yeah. (laughs) It's that our brains are very small. I like that. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I do love that, like, the setup for the robbery 
yeah, you might disagree with me on this, but I feel like it does a good job of holding your hand through it of like, you don't know what's happening yet, but don't worry, this will all pay off. Just keep your eyes on the Superman lunchbox. And <laughs> yes, eventually... she's Canadian, by the way. <laughs> Superman, Superman. Crea- Canadian creation. Uh, Susanna York, I think, plays Superman's mom in the oh, Superman really? movies. If I could be wrong. <laughs> it's all very incestuous. Yeah. That's funny. Um, well, I, I like the... If, just to, to go back like no, half a tick yeah. here, it's just like, I really like knowing, you know, okay, it's that amount of money, where it's not... I keep saying it's a James Bond movie. The, the stakes aren't astronomical in that way. It's still like a one-to-one, like an individual like yeah. psychological game. It's, a, it's game. Lo- municipal stakes, not yeah. uh, international. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> like, this guy isn't laundering it to the Caymans or anything. He's yeah. not like a mastermind. He's just mean and smart enough. Do you know what I mean? Where that's like a personal slight that someone got away with that amount of money. Yeah, I honestly think he doesn't give a shit about the money. Look at where he's living. He's yeah. basically the equivalent of a YMCA is where yeah. he lives. Um, <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's fine. I would, yeah, you're, you're robbing to continue your lifestyle, I suppose. But if having the money was the most important thing, there would be other jobs on the go. There'd be other stuff happening. It wouldn't yeah. be, oh, I got to drop everything and fuck with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just too, like, the the wounded ego is too much to overcome for him it's not about that money so i the thing that i like going back and revisiting i loved about this this time around is the first time watching i was like oh this is a great cat and mouse thing i can't wait for this to go on but I, it's really encapsulated in that first act is like the bank robbery and some cat and mouse stuff and then the second act is this like it does sag in the pacing for me but it is just like mm. and then life goes on and you're like okay well what the fuck are we Wait, doing is that yeah and then the third act is like ah here's the payoff and how everything's going to yes. going to go watching it this time the through line of plumber's whole journey it is great in that regard and knowing where <laughs> everything goes but the miles's internal journey was much more interesting mm. this time around and made me realize the thing i was watching is like aha they did do it on purpose the first half of the movie is purposefully really well lit and really like bright mm. not necessarily in a nice way like lots of fluorescent kind of sure. lighting and stuff <laughs> but the back half of the movie is really dark and shadowy mm, and it's yes. supposed to be this like ah descent into the subconscious mild and, crime and mild crimes yeah. yes <laughs> Oh, okay. I like that. Total argument for noir. I think you're yep. you're bolstering your argument. There's here. literally a shot or two that is it's doing the blinds thing, coming through the like ah yeah here we go. Yes. It just takes a while to get there. Is all. <laughs> you know what shot is really well lit in in kind of the back half is where he goes to visit his father in the nursing home, mm. and it's like very well lit and it's kind yeah. of a, an interesting little throwback. I was like, what is this scene doing in here? I think he just feels guilty. And, uh, yeah, then it, then he leaves and it's dark again. Yeah. Yeah, that was, like, a bright spot for him. And then yeah. we have the funeral that becomes a dark spot. Yes. Oh. oh gosh. <laughs> Which is where he meets uh, Celine Lomez. And I just wanted to read a, uh, a quote here because I think it's funny. Sure. Um, as this is a 70s exploitation-y thing, there is a lot of female nudity. Right. Um, mostly Lomez is doing a lot of it. Uh, here's a quote from her on that. Okay. Quote, I don't have any inhibitions about doing a nude scene as long as it's in the context of the movie. Uh, she went on to say that she found Gould kind of sexy and added he's also very much like a little boy, naive and extremely nice. Oh boy. I discussed the nude scene beforehand with director Daryl Duke and I asked him why I had to be naked while Elliot Gould remained half clothed. He told me I was prettier than Gould. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, fair you enough. You may debate that point in your own home. <laughs> watch the movie. Tell us what you think. <laughs> I think it's such a, like, watching it the second time around, it's so obvious that she's a plant. Oh, like, but, and she, it's very obvious that he's figured it out, too. Yes, very like, on. pretty quick. Yeah. But I think it is necessary in that sense where it's a... She's trying to distract him. Yeah, she's it's trying, a like, ooh, mechanism. look how sexy I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, and he is not falling for it, but it it should work, right? Like that's what she's. Those are the tools at her disposal. Is she's yeah. oh, I'm this like cute <laughs> lady that wants to have sex with you. So I I uh, I agree. I think it's necessary for the plot. Yeah, it's part feeds into the femme fatale stuff. Really yeah, nicely. totally. And yeah. I'm just realizing now. So we have our first heist with Santa. Our um, Key gets lost and get into the safety deposit box yeah. in the second act. And then we have the end heist. There's a heist in every act of this movie. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's true. It really, it kind of feels like the plot collapses in on itself a little bit um, yeah. like like you said it just kind of lags but that's necessary set up for the end heist and the you know the middle heist and <laughs> i it watching it again is very rewarding for that like it's a perfectly rewarding first watch for yeah. sure but yeah oh you're right there's <laughs> trilogy of heists triple your money that's so funny yep three's why three wise men three heists it's yeah, a christmas movie yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is this a thing? No. It is a Christmas movie, though, so yep. enjoy this with your family. Uh, uh, maybe watch it Only first, if they're Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only if they're Quebecois. <laughs> uh, so a thing that pops up in that third act, and I mean, I've, we've, I've said it enough, go watch this movie so that this doesn't get spoiled for you. The quick bursts of violence that happen. Mm. We have the absolutely wild beheading scene. Yeah, this, I I had to cover my eyes at first, like on first watch, because I thought they were going to cut away, and no, no, they didn't. They fucking didn't do it. I mean, they do eventually, so you don't actually eventually. see. Eventually. <laughs> but yeah, wild f- broken fish tank. It's not even a beheading. It's someone getting their head sawed off. Yeah, yeah, it's brute forced. Yeah, yeah. it's something else. Yeah, yeah. like... For a movie that is just got the usual exploitation-y kind yeah. of violence, it is a real, like, it's, Jesus. It's, yeah. <laughs> like, again, and this is, Plummer is very scary in this because you know he's perfectly capable of doing this. You'll believe you Christopher Plummer will behead a woman. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> but it's... A heritage it, moment. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's you've seen him doing violence to women before in yeah. the movie, and it's it's set up to be like this guy's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what he's he'll do. Yeah, and it feels like a, a perfect escalation of the previous violence we yes. see too. And yeah. I feel like it's a very again, it's Christopher Plummer just has this sort of single mindedness about it. Like this person fucked me over, so I'm going to kill them. And also as a bonus, it sends a message to this guy I'm I'm trying to like get inside the head of. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, man. You're taking my duties away. (laughs) I apologize. That's my job to make (laughs) make insensitive puns. Uh, so it's, it's a real like again i i hate to say that the woman getting beheaded is a care is a character driven thing but it kind of is it kind of it like it's i mean it's not done it's done for shock value only in the sense that like 
this guy doesn't think women are people. Yes. That's, you're trying to get that I think it's even as far as he doesn't think other people are people. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, That's fair. Extends to women. Because um, <laughs> he clearly has no qualms about, he wants to kill Gould. Yeah. He just can't do it because he needs him to get the money. Like, that's, yeah. it's he the would, only thing. He would saw off his head if he could reach up there. <laughs> it's very tall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it puts the exploitation in Canuck exploitation. Yes, for sure. For sure. Oh, for sure. Uh so the thing that I found out looking at this I think is very interesting. So I mentioned that this is a remake of is a sixty nine movie yeah. called Think of a Number is the translation of the mm, Norwegian movie. Okay. Starring uh BB Anderson, which I think is fun. Oh nice. That uh, if you know your Bergman and you know your BB. Um <laughs> It's just fun to say. It is. Uh, and that that movie is really closely tied to the book. And my understanding is that this scene is added in part to be like the third act is wildly different from from what happens in the book. Oh, the okay. Movie. I was going to say, is there a fish tank beheading in the novel? Is uh... But the, I think that part of this was we got to make it different and more edgy and stuff. But uh, this was a case where the writers didn't want to do this scene. They didn't write the scene. They were just like, and then he like shoots her or something. Right. Uh, and all of the executives were like, no, you got to cut her head off. Whoa! Yeah. And speaking about... uh, Executives good suddenly? (laughs) Maybe. But Daryl Duke thought it was so gratuitous that he was like, no, I quit. Like, he quit on the spot. Really? Yeah. What happened? Uh, Curtis Hansen took over and finished directing and putting together the movie. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, wow. So he he thought it was, like, gratuitous. It didn't service the plot in any way. He was like, it's all you do is show him, like, punch her, and then off screen she dies. You don't need to show... This. I mean, I guess, but yeah. like, goddamn, it works. It does work. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's scary. Oh, um, but yeah, Curtis Hansen came in and like, it was one of the last things that they shot. So like, he had to do just a few reshoots in the post production. But like, Gould is like, yeah, I didn't like that. I don't like Curtis Hansen now because of that. Oh. Because <laughs> he was like, my buddy Duke got, was doing the right thing. Oh, and, I see. But it's not that he doesn't like Hansen. He's just like, we didn't work well together because yeah, sure. I was feeling upset. Um, <laughs> Your director just got. Booted, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And Curtis Hansen originally wanted to direct the, to direct the movie, but he did, wasn't a big enough name at that time, so oh. he didn't get to do it. So it feels a little, like, oh, a little slimy. Okay. It does a little bit. I don't think the intent is there. No, but I for think sure. That's... I can see how it would be perceived that way. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I like... don't know shit about fuck directing-wise, but <laughs> I, it doesn't feel different. No, it doesn't. No. And I mean, I guess the only downside you could say is Daryl Duke didn't get to be involved in the post-production, so he didn't get to, like, edit the movie he wanted. Oh, uh, sure. But, oh, actually, I forgot about this. I didn't put this in my notes. Gould went and saw Duke's cut of it. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, it's virtually exactly the same. Oh, <laughs> like, okay, so right. like I was oh, going to okay. say, yeah, so did Duke, like, disown? The... No. No, he's fine. He, he thinks it's a good, good one. He's just like, but that scene, don't need that in there. I get it, buddy. Yeah. Uh, now we move on to the fun fact portion of our episode Ooh. today. Uh, <laughs> unless you have anything you want to talk about, like, in the movie itself. That I... No, it's fine. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll do our final thoughts in a little bit. Yes. But, uh, yeah, it is just, just to, like, put a little cap on everything we've talked about. I feel like this movie is so good at doing what the tropes are of what it's doing, but then still somehow seeming unique among its peers. It's just, yeah. It's a standout. If you like crime thrillers, if you like exploitation movies if you like canadiana if you like elliot gould and christopher Plummer, watch this movie <laughs> um, it's good stuff if you like the 70s uh, highly 70s if everything if you like the look of everything being flammable <laughs> you like this you movie. like polyester <laughs> or doing that toronto thing where you try and figure out which street yes. they filmed on even though most of it has been knocked down yeah 
It's a very different looking area than it is in this, <laughs> this movie. This is how we watch movies and drugs. Reject modernity, embrace tradition. <laughs> return. <laughs> Coming a return guy, but just for downtown Toronto. But just for gentrification. <laughs> uh, but oh, speaking of watching this movie, Elliot Gould took this movie to a close personal friend to watch it, who he was like, you know who would love this movie? My buddy Alfred Hitchcock. And he sat him down, and he made it, he got him to watch it. And Hitchcock was like, "This movie rules." What? He was like, he was super into the movie, and like Hitchcock is. He's Are like, they friends? Yeah, they're friends. Oh, okay. They like wrote letters to each other. They what? like pen pals How? and stuff. All right. Uh, late in life, very, very late in life. Okay, all right. Because um, it was a thing of like Hitchcock saw a thing that he like Gould in, and then they strike up a. Eh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, but no, Hitchcock like he's a guy who'll tell you if he doesn't like something. Yep. But he's just like it. a wonderful picture, so oh. suspenseful, like just. <laughs> That, that does seem like something he'd really love. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this movie holds a really weird distinction in that it not only won the Canadian Academy Awards, uh, these are also called the E-Trogs, which are named after the sculptor of the award the same way. Oh. So it was, I can't remember the person's first name, but something E-Trog. Uh, won the Canadian Academy Award for Best Director, Best Picture, and Best Score. And it was Shit. also the last movie to ever win those awards. Because that year, they just shut it down. In the event hosted by John Candy and Catherine O'Hara, it was the last uh, time the Canadian Academy ever met, and it was disbanded immediately afterward, and slowly morphed into what is now the Canadian Screen Awards, which oh, is the sure, big sure, conglomeration sure. of anything that gets filmed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why? They just they for tax reasons they amalgamated. I'm glad you mentioned tax reasons, Aaron. Uh oh. Uh, from Gail McDonald at the <laughs> Globe and Mail. I'm not. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's okay, good. Right. From Gail McDonald at the Globe and Mail, one of the few truly good films to come out of the tax shelter heyday of the 1970s. Oh. <laughs> because yes, this movie was a tax scheme. Dun dun dun! <laughs> oh, please tell me it was laundering money from a robbery. Uh, it's not. No, uh, it wasn't doing anything so so seedy. But it was one of many tax scheme movies from the time. Sure. Which brings us to the segment I have for us today. It's the return of location, location, location. We're talking about Toronto, Canada, tax schemes, and the 70s. <laughs> Canada is just one big tax scheme, in case anyone is yeah. curious. Where That's the only reason the country exists. Welcome to Toronto, Ontario in the 1970s. A lot of what you're seeing no longer exists in the present day, yeah. or... Uh, it does and was, like, built up nicely or has been torn down and rebuilt. Or they do to it what we call Toronto chic around here, which is, <laughs> because of heritage planning, keep one layer of bricks, the facade mm. of every building, and build a massive glass monstrosity behind it. Yes. Such as the church that you see in a lot of shots just outside of the mall where this movie takes place, the Eaton Center. Mm -hmm. That church was going to be torn down for the Eaton Center, but they kept it up and they built the mall around it. It's so weird. It's very weird. <laughs> like you're nice at, church, though. You're at a fucking indigo bookstore. You're like, hey, let's stop at a church on the way. Let's go to church. <laughs> and it's still a functional church. Like it's it's literally nestled within yeah. the mall. It's very weird. A lot of good concerts there. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about the thing, the landmarks that appear in this movie. Uh. We've got three types of landmarks that appear in this movie. Okay. The now torn down and gentrified in some capacity. The still existing but collapsing and really should be torn down. Mm -hmm. And uh, going strong areas. <laughs> so. Starting with what no longer exists, we miss them. The Waverly Hotel and the Silver yeah, Dollar. Yeah, the Silver Dollar was such a good live music venue. They yeah. would do, like, bluegrass nights. Mm -hmm. Those were really fun. Cheap beer. They were Great all, stuff. It, it was also a 
den of debauchery. <laughs> the amount of like sex worker arrests and there were just literally like they would sell tickets to orgies like literally that. Oh, were they? Oh yeah. <laughs> It'd be billed as a concert venue, but mm. it would be like, yeah, you're coming here to fucking suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have it right on the ticket. It's in the fine print. <laughs> the Waverly Hotel though is the big building next to the silver dollar we see and that where I th- is where I think Reichel lives. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Waverly Hotel was built in 1900, one of the oldest buildings in downtown, recently demolished. Uh, And the Silver Dollar was built to just be, like, the hotel lounge. I didn't know that. Oh, that's Uh, awesome. Okay, it's got a very, like, brass railings and, like, red carpet-y, like, shitty red carpet. Yeah. Built late 50s. Uh, Elmore Leonard was a big fan of the Silver Dollar from his novel Kill Shot. Quote, Try to come along Spadina Avenue, see that goddamn silver dollar sign, hundreds of light bulbs in your face, not be drawn in there. <laughs> Elmer Leonard was an alcoholic, oh, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming, because you could get like dollar pints there or whatever. Yeah, for a long well, time. you still could up until like 2012 mm. or whatever. And now it's a glass and chrome. That, that fucking bar, that is the only. I used to live literally three houses up yeah. from there, and. It's the only place that I've ever seen someone emerge from the bar at 7 a.m. when I was going to work. You know what I mean? Like, yep. It's, and they it's, were, it's a den, yeah, for sure. Very much a den. And I mean, like, that's what winds up getting it gentrified. But, like, goddamn, that yeah. place is great. Yeah. Lots of great musicians go through there and just, like, a ton of fun. Just somewhere where locals like to hang out and... Go figure, you gotta capitalize on that. Toronto was actually cool in the 70s, oh, yeah, like the 60s time. and 70s. Like, Joni Mitchell was just playing, like, shows in, in Yorkville, and now that's gentrified all to hell. This is the Toronto Grievance Hour that you're oh, going yeah. to be listening to, but but, but, <laughs> but it was, like, genuinely yeah. cool in, like, a mildly dangerous way. Yeah. Where it was, like, you could make a great living, but there was also, like, all of the, you know, city hustle and bustle, including, like... Tickets to orgies and sex worker <laughs> arrests and, like, the things that are, like, yeah, there's just people living their lives or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And you just don't really have that anymore. So the silver yeah. dollar is such a good, like, I'm so mad it was torn down. And they're, they're like, b- rebuilding condos as, like, the Waverly. And it's going to be these upscale things. I'm doing a jerk-off motion. You yeah. can't see it. But. but the final institution that I have here that uh, from Toronto that no longer exists is, of course, John Candy. We miss him. Aww. We love him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Still existing, though collapsing or going over some kind of renewal. First off, our money. It doesn't look like that anymore. (laughs) It's gotten even more silly looking. Yeah, it looks more like a child's cartoon version of money. It's so multicolored, which is great because you always know you can be the drunkest you've ever been in your life. But you're like, purple, that's a 10. Yeah. (laughs) It helps. I'm not going to lie. It really helps. brown, orange. That's a 100. Keep that one. Yeah. (laughs) I had to think about that one because I don't have a hundreds. Yep. Blue, that's a fiver. Yeah. Give me two blues for a purple, you'd say. (laughs) Okay, Grandpa. (laughs) Green is 20. The TTC subway. We see a lot of shots of the subway in this uh, movie. It is as screechingly loud, though much sadder looking than it is in this movie. You see the elevated Gardner Highway, which chunks of it are mm. literally falling off. Uh, it should yeah. be torn down, but it's not going to be. And the main thing here is the Eaton Center, the Eaton Center Mall, where this all takes place. Mm-hmm. It was freshly new. It was like pretty brand new. Right. Late 60s, early 70s. 
most people are seeing this for the first time. <laughs> it's yeah. so shiny. It's a very, it's a cool, I, I know there were like some actual thoughtful designs that went yes. into it and stuff. It's a, it's an interestingly designed mall. It, it is still standing. It is still standing. It's going and strong. not really changed too much. It's, it's no, no. So it like weirdly, it's this weird like capitalist institution where it is kind of like, yeah, I like going to Eaton Center. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of natural light. And that's me. Um, but architecturally, it is based on Milan's famous Galleria, the oldest oh. known shopping mall. So that's oh, kind shit. of what okay. the inspiration is. It is the most visited mall in North America daily. Really? Yeah. Oh. And most of that is because it's connected to the subway. Line. I was going to yep. say, I visit the mall regularly, sort of. But yeah, the most traffic daily of any mall in North America. So... Suck it. If you want to get your <laughs> capitalism rejuvenated, build public transit. Yes. And it is, uh, I didn't know this, It pretty much every mall in North America that was built after the Eaton Center is using the Eaton Center as a template. So I it's can like, think of a couple in Calgary that I, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize <laughs> this funny. like huge, <laughs> this is like. A big deal apparently. She was the template. Yeah. <laughs> Are we calling malls she? Are we doing... <laughs> yes, we are. Boats and malls. And going strong today, we get a mention of Cabbage Town while Elliot Gould is doing his hilarious impression of a, like, oh 30s God, gangster. So funny. <laughs> so funny. I think that's still in his, like, I'm not 100% sure of myself phase, like, yep. early on in the crimes. And he's on the phone, like, ah, see, he's hiding out at the... What does he say? Like, yeah, but he's got the rod. He's got the rod on him. <laughs> Like, he has a gun. <laughs> he steps out of the phone booth and he's like, the rod? Ugh, come on. But the way he says bye is yeah. You do this perfect. regularly. You you made me start doing it. Oh, did it. I? It's um, your thing. <laughs> bye. bye. <laughs> he's very funny. Uh, we've got the Davisville Cemetery there. Very oh, lovely yes. cemetery, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, Lake Louise in Alberta gets mentioned. And, of course, 2,000 cubic yards of cement going strong. They keep talking about it as, like, the, the future is this vault, like, to, yeah, that's just what Toronto is now. Yes. Well done, everyone. But I mentioned tax shelters. That's just yeah. the backdrop. Toronto is the backdrop for our story. Okay. The thing that brings our story to us, do you know about the capital cost allowance tax shelter years? Vaguely? So, uh, stick with me. This isn't boring accountant talk. This is <laughs> literally how some modern movie contemporary stuff came to be okay uh so the short version of this is the canadians were like oh fuck we gotta have a movie industry <laughs> uh we're doing like three movies a year or something like that it's very sad cute so the government had the idea that okay right now you invest money into a movie you get 50 percent of it tax-free what if we made it 100 percent? which seems like a bad idea when you hear about it because like that nothing should be 100 percent yeah <laughs> Just never do 100% of anything. It's yeah. probably not. Uh, but I guess they didn't think it through. So in 74-75, uh, they upped the capital cost allowance. If you invented 100%, every dollar you invested in a movie would be tax-free. Um, so to be eligible, this is where Canadian content rules come into play. Uh, yes. We talk about this all the time in the pod. It's literally still law here. You have to have a certain percentage of Canadian content on your airwaves. Yes, and this debate, the debate rages on whether that's a good idea or not, but it is... I think it kind of came about as a way to just not get drowned out by yeah. United States, like, content, right? And the thought here was to be eligible for the uh, for this tax scheme uh you had to have at least 75 minutes of length in the movie have a producer and two-thirds of the creative personnel who are canadian and have at least 75 percent of the technical services performed in canada sure so okay. 
that all makes sense. But what wound up happening is every part of it was Canadian. You just shipped in uh, American writers, directors, and uh, uh, stars. So okay. that's that's what creates... So not actually helping the industry at all. Exactly. But it creates that weird feel of exploitation where it's like, oh, something's off. <laughs> I know this is coming from an alternate universe, and I can't tell where. <laughs> and usually what resulted was a movie that is, you it would say it's New York, but it's very clearly Canada. Like, yeah. if you've ever seen Short Circuit 2, beloved robot Johnny <laughs> 5, you see a lot of Canadian landmarks that are just like, how on earth could you mistake this for anywhere but Toronto if you've seen Toronto? And yeah. they just call it New York. That's usually right. how it would go. This is the rare case where the movie actually takes place where it says Yes, it's, it's actually supposed to be set in Toronto. <laughs> but what people did with this tax scheme, invest 100% of the money. Great. I'm putting millions of dollars in as an investor. I'm going to be a producer, local Canadian, or American, doesn't matter. Sure. Uh, and then you'd write into your contract that you'd get back a producer fee that's, you know, maybe about the same uh, amount that you put in. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, but, like, amortized so they didn't get taxed as hard. Um, oh, boy. Or you'd take a percentage off the back end, which would help you flaunt other tax rules. So it was a short living thing. It only ran from 75 to 82 before a Canadian giver was like, wait a second. Hey. <laughs> but the result uh. was there's a huge boom in volume in production. <laughs> when I said three features a year, I wasn't being silly. That was like the high point. Oh, boy. Previous. Okay. Uh, with total budgets of everything being filmed coming to about a million dollars. And that's in 1974. Aww. To In 1979, we had 66 feature films a year with $172 million being spent. And for comparison, there's 99 being done in Hollywood that year. So, like, oh, shit. we're, okay. like, competing pretty hard. The but... classic Canada thing of two-thirds of the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The funny part of that, though, is most of the movies didn't actually get released. So. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, so they didn't even... That wasn't one of the stipulations? No, nope, didn't have to be, be released. Oh, my God, you guys. <laughs> Uh, Bunch of morons. You had to. I think that the idea was you had to give it a bit of a try, but like the Silent Partner <laughs> never got released in the U.S. It got no. a release in Canada. Sure. It got released in South America, and that was it. All right. So Elliot Gould says, like to this day, he has people from South America come up to him and be like, "I love that movie, The Silent Partner that you're in. You can ride my horse anytime." This is the thing he was told once. All right. Yeah. Well. Lucky. But they were all, like, the movies that came out were these, like, very exploitation type type of movies. Sure. They were, like, this crime thriller that we got in Silent Partner, or they were slasher horrors, or they were, oh. like, gross-out comedy kind of things. Oh, sure. Yeah. Does Black Christmas fall into this? 75? Yes, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. okay. All I right. couldn't find for sure either way, but if nothing else, the director of Black Christmas exploited the hell out of this process yes. <laughs> to get other movies made. That's Bob Clark. Nice. Uh, who got... A lot of stuff like Bad. Porky's exists because of this. Right. Uh, Skip Tracer, we've talked about before. Yeah. Exists because of this. Uh, Meatballs from Ivan Reitman gets made because of this. A movie that I now really want to watch called Murder by Decree, starring Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes, James Mason as Watson, and Donald Sutherland as just, like, part of the cast. It's a <laughs> wild cast. I want to fuck? see it real All bad. right. Is James Mason Canadian? Nope. Okay. But I thought it, I was about to find out something that will blow my mind. Okay. But it's one of these things of, like, it's impossible to locate now because they didn't really yeah. try to release it or anything. <laughs> they didn't, like, keep it. If you're a fan of uh, exploitation horror stuff, The Changeling, Prom Night, basically David Cronenberg's entire <laughs> yep. catalog. Like, the reason David Cronenberg exists in movies today is because he got his start through this. So, And he still had a hell of a, like, yeah. he got kicked out of his apartment because they were like, you're so perverse that you cannot live in our building. Yeah. Right? Like, like, he... 
still suffered a lot for it. I can't remember if it was Shivers of the Brood, but like one of those was banned in Canada. Yeah. But got like released elsewhere and still got funded by the government. Like this weird fucking, yeah. It was, they were debating it on like at, in the House of Commons for a while. Like, <laughs> should this be allowed to represent Canadian art? So like, should this be where public like tax money goes? Yeah. And it wound up in 82. They're like, nope, cancel it. <laughs> Turns out we said no. So That's if so you're funny. ever watching a movie from 1974 to 1982 and you're like, the reality here is not right. Something is wrong. This is grosser than it should be. Uh, and they can't <laughs> There was figure... no oversight here. Yeah. It feels yes. unsafe. Like they're just, people are just walking, but it still feels unsafe. Yeah. You're probably watching a exploitation movie. Very nice. And it's a thing that like, I feel like very recently we're only getting into it as Canadians. It's only now that stuff is starting to come out. I feel like people are starting to kind of see the value in resurrecting, like, things that didn't get a fair shot the first time around and yeah. being produced by, I mean, it's probably not super safe, but God, the idea of just, like, making a low-budget horror thriller or whatever <laughs> with no oversight yeah. and that you knew you wouldn't have to answer for because it, it wasn't going to get a wide release. I want to see that so much. Because <laughs> that feels like the purest form of something. That's yes. like, oh, nobody's meddling in here. No, exactly. <laughs> just do whatever your weird little brain wants. So I feel like people are seeing, like, yeah, we got to, like... There are circumstances that would have, like, that sank really good movies yeah. when they were released, and we should resurrect them. Yeah, like, and I feel like for local Toronto people, TIFF is starting to do a bunch of them. I forgot to write down the name yeah. of it, but there's some, the biggest budget movie in Canadian history. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's The Wars or something like that. Or, oh, I don't know. Uh, it's something I hadn't heard of until pretty recently because, again, it barely got released. <laughs> but it's like a three and a half hour crazy war epic about World War One. Like, it's, right. it sounds wild, uh, but it's the type of thing that you wouldn't know about. So, no. Silent Thanks, Part TIFF. Let Silent Partner or Cronenberg be your gateway in to yes. these crazy Canucks. <laughs> We're not as demented as all of our filmography would seem to suggest. Not or a guarantee. We? Yeah. <laughs> Don't test it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that's it for another segment on location, location, location. The segment about a location. <laughs> I love that. The location is why the movie is the way it is. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> distinctly so mm -hmm. yeah so uh that's all i have for the silent partner and i would love to now hear your final thoughts on let's go back to the movie i suppose now that we've talked about tax law in canada <laughs> you come for the entertainment folks don't leave don't leave it's interesting uh my final thoughts are just that this movie rules and <laughs> that's all i nice seed my time great no yeah back to basics sometimes yeah. that's all you need yeah no, it's, I, it, but seriously, folks, I, <laughs> if I can love, get serious, if I can be serious with you, I love that it's about two guys who are equally self-centered and narcissistic and each think that they're the smartest one. Yeah. And their, their, their panic at realizing that the other guy might be the smarter one is a beautiful thing to behold. And it's done by just like two of the absolute gems of their their mm. generation their decade and yes just got this little playground to be like let's fucking go for it i love that <laughs> so much it's very like cat and mouse yeah. but each switch i guess this is maybe the definition of cat and mouse but each switches the role of cat versus mouse yeah and cat like, and mouse implies like this is this someone is, has the upper hand <laughs> this is cat and cat this yes is... <laughs> exactly <laughs> Cat with rabies versus cat with rabies. Yeah, the silent partner is the original cat fight movie. Do, do I understand this correctly? <laughs> cat fight with Christopher Plummer and Elliot Gould. <laughs> yeah, and what's it? <laughs> that 
That's great stuff. Yeah, it's just such a, like, it is such an exploitation thing, but it's actually really sharp and clever and just interesting, just unique in a way that, like, I don't, I can't think of a, another movie quite like it. Yeah. Um, and it's just, like, tethered so well by these performances that are, like, you're genuinely scared of both of them for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I love watching Elliot Gould turn into the guy that, like, might become Christopher Plummer if he yes, gets away with it. Like, absolutely. That's pretty. Who's the cop and who's the criminal? <laughs> They're both criminals. All right. <laughs> yeah, they are. One is, yeah, one is the acceptable kind of criminal and one is not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that's my final thoughts. Sweet. Wonderful character uh, thriller. Yeah. And I mean, I feel much the same. Like, obviously, I love the Toronto aspects of this movie. Don't watch this movie with me, because I'll be pointing out to you, like, that's on that street corner. I know where that is. That's, yeah. That's this okay. is actually how all Torontonians watch every movie ever. We get so little. You know, <laughs> just give me this. Just set movies in Toronto and we won't have to be like yeah. this, okay? I need exposure therapy. I just need to see more of it. It'll make me happier. Yeah. Um, so obviously I love that. I love that it's very grimy. That's mm-hmm. all great. But the thing that I chiefly love about it, all the cat and mouse stuff is great. But I feel like Plummer's character you don't see evolve at all. He's very much so the thing He's that I He's in his final form. Yes, he is. The thing that I love is watching Gould's character Cullen transform over this cuz he like starts at, out as a sad lonely guy kind of kind of not even sad just like discontent i guess yeah yeah and he says like i didn't have a life i think at some point in there like very very much realizing like how i think it's realizing how sad and lonely he was not that he was feeling sad and lonely sure but that he learns that he can like grow beyond that and become who he wants to be by becoming like a real piece of shit (laughs) (laughs) an arc we can all aspire to yeah and like he's obviously our protagonist so we're gonna root for him or whatever but I love that his like self-actualization journey is, what if I became a monster? What if I... <laughs> Honestly, if that's the only direction left for you to go in, it's empowering yeah. for you to really go for it. And I mean, I love the setup. Like I was saying, it's grimy. I love the setup of seeing here's the only choice this guy has in life is, well, the only thing I can do is sink lower. And I'm proud of it. Like, And he <laughs> and is I'm so proud it. of yes. it. Yeah. So proud of himself. Yeah. For sure. It's like he's taking, the, the stealing is taking digs at his boss that he hates. It gives really strong office space vo- boss vibes. Yes. Um, Banking is the most important thing in the world. It's a literal yeah, direct right. line from this boss. There is nothing more important than banking. You can tell he's saying it with a capital B. Yes. He's a capital B. That's what he is. (laughs) Sassy. Yeah. So I just, I love that there is no redemption in this movie. It is like the end credits roll and you're like, there's a wonderful love story going on. And it's all this like, when you take a second to think about it, you're like, no, these people suck. bad. (laughs) But they found their way. Into uh, our hearts. Yes, they have. Uh, So I would love now for you to uh, double bill our Canadian friend here. Our, our Canadian friend. I'm our Canadian friend. All right. Uh, I'm going to pair this with... So this is obviously the trashy, like, fun, grimy oh, yeah. one like, of the pair. you can't look at a frame of this movie without being, like, exploitation picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to pair it with very much an artier movie that I think really are, like, they're the same... They're doing the same thing. One is just doing it in an artier, loftier way. Mm. So I'm going to pair it with another movie about men who find themselves in like a situation where they're about to look 
weak or are about to like take on a like an injustice injustice mm. <laughs> no an injustice oh my god <laughs> An unjusticed, and so they turn the tables and they just do the thing themselves, right? Like they sink lower on purpose so yeah. that they can say that they took the initiative. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of it's it's sort of a cat and mouse thing where there's clearly two power centers and there's sort of butting of heads as they try to work out like what the other person's going to do next and like slowly starting to realize oh no like this might all be fucked (laughs) and ultimately they're both just about like a type of guy who's (laughs) convinced that he's smarter than everyone else and that it's okay that he's doing what he's doing because he's smart and so it's okay for him but he just gets people hurt doing it and they both happen to feature, like, a national treasure, uh, respectively. Okay. As the villain, um, Christopher Plummer, obviously, in this one, the villain in the film that I'm pairing it with is really Seshui building. Hayakawa in Bridge on the River Kwai. Oh, nice. Okay. You're yeah. really building it up. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it fits really well. The suspense. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Take so, me yes. more through this. Yes. Bridge on the River Kwai, made in 1957, directed by David Lean. Um, big, sweeping, epic, long movie. Mm. Definitely only one of those things that you th- might look at and think like okay it, my movie vegetables like yes. i gotta eat the vegetables this is an important film capital i capital f it's actually awesome it rules it kicks ass yeah. and it yes it's long but it's supposed to be long because it's this very gradual um uh alec guinness is our british army captain mm-hmm. who or colonel, I suppose, who is captured uh, during World War II in Burma and is forced to, like, they're trying to, the Japanese commander is trying to break him down and make, you know, make the men work. And both are shown to be in such desperate straits that they're just kind of lashing out and and trying to get the upper hand on a personal level. Like, this is the, these are the big ass stakes. This is World War II. Like, they're doing, World War II? Yeah, it sounds right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's a very, like, the the stakes should be huge for this and they are but elsewhere this movie is just about the power struggle between these two fucking guys mm-hmm. who each are so convinced that they're the smarter one and need to maintain that like top dog position. they're just trying to alpha each other endlessly yes exactly which is as exhausting to watch as you would imagine in it like in a good way yeah. where you're just like man these two are both just so focused on like their egos that they cannot fucking let it go and it's funny like clearly alec guinness is initially set up as you're he's the protagonist the good guy. go 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 for yeah. And like, I know why wow, what the an upright like, British colonel. God damn, this guy's a loser. This guy's a <laughs> fucking idiot. Yeah. How could you be so stupid? It's kind of the, yeah. <laughs> and featuring uh, a guy that we don't talk about enough just because his movies are, are like quite old and we haven't seen many of them. Seshui Haokawa is mm, like a rules. famous, like a wildly famous, like maybe the first male sex symbol in Hollywood because he played these like smoldering villains and like women love this guy super handsome guy very christopher plummery of like he can also be terrifying Mm -hmm. and so he's very good in this as a guy who's like finally coming up against an adversary who like won't he tries to bully him and it doesn't work Mm -hmm. and then having to like get down on on the level of like i'm just gonna break down this one guy that's what it's about now for the rest of the movie is this like butting heads between two dudes who should know better because they are smart enough but they just can't let it go like their egos are too big and uh yeah one is against the backdrop of uh burma world war ii and one is toronto (laughs) Both terrifying. (laughs) Both lawless jungles. (laughs) 
Uh, and I guess you could make the case that, like, uh, Bridge on the River Kwai is misogynistic in the way where there are no speaking female characters whatsoever. Well, that's what we were fighting World War II for, right? To get... Uh, yeah, to get vocal cords reinstalled in women. Yeah, pre- pretty pretty sure. <laughs> Implied <laughs> misogyny versus overt misogyny. <laughs> no one gets their head chopped off. But yeah, so these movies are very much both the same vibe of like guys just butting heads and being too stubborn to let it go. Yeah. And one is grimy and like fun and terrifying. And one is deeply sad and like mm. riveting and, and really like affecting in that way. So yeah. I'm going to pair those two together. Sweet. And I'm going to call it Bridge Over the River Don Valley. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Don Valley is in Toronto, for anyone who's curious. (laughs) Thank you for the footnote. Yes, I was going to... (laughs) Heritage moment. (laughs) Over to you. Uh, Well, first off, just because you mentioned that, go Google some heritage moments if you don't know. They're really funny. They're funny. Um, (laughs) Like, we just invented basketball. Heritage moment. They're all like three minutes long and they would take an entire commercial slot during cartoons. (laughs) CanCon, baby. Yeah, that's great. Um, Bizarre TV choices in Canada. But I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, I'm going to talk about huge pieces of shit that we're rooting for, despite knowing better in a story that can only happen in the place it's taking place. Oh, okay. I am talking about The Player from 1992 by Robert Altman. Uh, you love this movie. I recent discovery by me, and I love it. Um, discovery, yeah, I found I an Altman. Discovered a Robert. <laughs> New Shut to the me fuck is up. what I mean. Um, it is trading off Silent Partners, Cat and Mouse stuff for like satire drama about Hollywood. But I feel like I got the same thing from each of them, which is here is a guy who's kind of not happy where he is right now, and he's a he's slightly meek, not like really meek but just like he's just meek enough that he's clearly he's unhappy. playing within the system and the, yeah yeah and they each learn the message the message that they take home at the end of the day is that you only get ahead in life by being a massive jerk yep. massive rule breaking criminal uh and committing enormous crimes that uh, let's face it no one's ever going to care about enough to actually investigate and that's how you move up the ladder. It turns out it doesn't matter how many necks you step on along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Because as long nice. as my neck is fine. But they're starting from positions of, oh, I'm just going about my usual every day and not thinking about it too like, overtly. Oh, I'm making this choice. Yeah. And uh, you can make the choice not to get your neck stepped on. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. Nice. Uh, they're also both very funny. And uh, <laughs> Elliot Gould appears in both. So. Oh, that's true. There you go. Before I realized that, I was like, oh, Vincent D'Onofrio kind of gives me some gold vibes in it, but it could just be that they got, like, big, moppy, curly-ish hair. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. An unrecognizable Vincent D'Onofrio. I don't even think you have to say it, because I have never once recognized Vincent D'Onofrio uh, in anything. He's just great. <laughs> he's, he's the Gary Oldman of slightly seedier movies. <laughs> he's the Vincent Youngman. Uh, <laughs> Benny Youngman? <laughs> Benny Goodman. Oscar Peterson! <laughs> All right, I'm having a stroke. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh-huh. Uh, so what? what is the artier one in your opinion? Oh, the is player is the, player? the artier one. Yeah. yeah. Just, just because it is, it is, it was an independent movie, technically. Yeah. It, it's got all these hallmarks of like, the reason it was getting made was 
Robert Altman went in with this vision of, I want to skew Hollywood, and I want to show what pieces of shit they are. Right. Like, it had a purpose in its in its delivery. Sure, sure. And damn the consequences. Whereas yeah. Silent Partner was like, hey, let's make some money on the Wouldn't back of this tax Wouldn't it be fucked game. up if a guy stole some money? Yeah. And it, and it looks, it just feels so trashy. And the player is like, it's not impenetrable or inaccessible by any means. Oh my god, means. no. No. It is incredibly both of those things. Yeah. Uh, but it is... Yeah, I don't know. Just the the construction of it feels much more artfully done. I feel like there's yeah, there's more deliberateness in the player for sure. Yeah. More like yeah, there's stylistic stuff, but in in service of like telling the story. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. Nice. Yeah. A possibly bleaker ending than Silent Partner. Yes. Well, I'd say fully bleaker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Because the player is telling you like, "Hey, look at this jackass and how he's thriving," and the Silent Partner is just like, "It's okay. Look, it's all right." The least bad guy got the girl <laughs> yeah. at the end, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Damn, um, that's good. That maps really well. Yeah, and I'm calling it the Silent Player. Nice. It's like a piano, I guess. <laughs> Player piano. No, I get it. But it's silent because nobody's playing. It's fine. I know I'm trapped in my own logic. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. It's okay. You said the keyword that knows we're wrapping up the episode earlier, which is Benny Goodman. Whenever somebody shouts Benny Goodman on the podcast, we got to wrap it up. That's our Manchurian candidate <laughs> activation phrase. <laughs> so uh, please leave us your reviews on your podcast platform of choice. Let people know about the show. Tell them you got to learn more about Canada. You got to go watch Silent Partner. And people to love podcast. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just non sequiturs in conversation. That's the best way to connect. Go with people, learn right? more about Canada. You I have may... to shout it too. I may have been inside too long. <laughs> Uh, I forget the rules of engagement for social reality. Uh, yeah. Follow us at GartBidgePod on Twitter and Instagram. I got it right this week. Yay. <laughs> so proud. And uh, please come on back and join us next time for another pile of GartBidge. Bye. Bye. <laughs>